Well, last week, you know that we continued looking at uh, the words of Christ to the disciples in relation to honesty and integrity. And you may remember he said uh, he, he went beyond the idea of committing perjury or the vows. Thank you. The vows that we would make to the Lord. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. And he said, anything past that, anything beyond that uh, cometh from evil. <coughs> Excuse me. Basically, what Christ was saying is whenever you and I have to give more than our word for people to believe we're serious or for people to believe that we're men and women of our word, then there's something wrong with us. Amen. And so I hope in the last week you have uh, made effort to be more careful in the way that you present yourself if you struggle with that. I hope that uh, if you've uh, needed to give attention to the subject of honesty and integrity, that you have been willing to do it. So that's what we talked about last week. Excuse me. Tonight I want to begin with a simple statement that I have made on many occasions before. And I think as the message develops, you'll understand why I'm saying it again tonight. But the statement is this. Living the Christian life is not easy. Amen. Professing the Christian life, that is extremely easy. Anyone can profess to be a Christian, but to live the Christian life, that is not easy. To live the Christian life is extremely difficult. I was thinking about it like this, and again, I've probably said this before in times past, but if anyone that you or I know, should they suggest that the Christian life is easy to live, you can be sure of this, they're not living it. They're not living it correctly, we could say. So if somebody says, you know, I really don't think it's that hard to be a Christian, you can look at them and probably know, yeah, you're probably not living it the way it's supposed to be living, uh, or it's supposed to be lived, because the Christian life is tough. The Christian life is difficult. The Christian life is challenging. And if it were easy to do, you wouldn't have so many people who quit and give up over the years. And so tonight it's with that thought in mind that the Christian life is not easy to live and that it really does require the grace and the strength and the help of God in our lives to live it. I want us to look in verse number 38 because this will remind us of what we talked about a few weeks ago. But in verse number 38 he said, Ye have heard that it, that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, a few weeks ago when we looked at verse number 38 and we were considering what the culturally accepted norm was, we remember that they were using this in their day, in their culture, as a justification for not doing any more than what was required of them. They were men and women who had their rights and they knew what was required of them, what they were obligated to do by law, but not one bit more. Does this sound familiar at all? No? Okay, well, that's what we talked about because I've looked over my notes and, and I know that's what we talked about and that's what was discussed and that's what was said. But, but the people of their day, it was like, listen, you do an eye to me and I will do an eye to you. I know what my rights are. I know what I'm allowed to do. I, I know what the law says for me. Now, while that was a biblical statement... We also remember, like so many other things, they were taking it out of context. 
Because this was dealing with, in the Old Testament, not your rights and not what was available to you, but this was simply dealing with an appropriate judgment for a crime or an offense that was committed. Because by nature, when somebody does something to us, we want to not only do that to them, but we want to do it plus something else in order for us to feel good about the situation. All right, and so the reason that this was given in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and what was uh, said also in the law, was not for the sake of, ha, I get revenge, but it was more for the idea of, this is all you can do when an offense is committed, but this was not dealing with a person's rights and a person's liberties and what was uh, given to them by way of entitlements. All right? So... It's with that in mind that Christ says in verse number 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. That ye resist not evil. Now, you'll notice what Christ says in that verse. He identifies the fact that there is evil in the world. That there is ungodliness, that there is wickedness, that there is sin in their world. And so just as is in our day today, there was, as we know because of the message this morning and common sense would tell us, that even in the days of Christ, there was evil, there was wickedness, there was ungodliness, there was unrighteousness, there was sin. And Christ said to the disciples, but I say unto you, resist not evil. Well, what does it mean to resist? It means to stand in opposition to something. It means to, to uh, push back against it or to withstand. And so it would seem as though Christ were saying to the disciples, when it comes to evil, don't withstand it, don't oppose it, don't resist it, but just let evil have its way or run its course. But that doesn't make sense, does it? Because Christ himself resisted evil at different times. There were those moments and there were those occasions in which Christ would stand against evil. There were those moments where he would oppose the evil that was taking place. The Apostle Paul did such a thing, did he not? And, and throughout the centuries, people have stood in opposition to evil, and that's what we're supposed to do. If we're not supposed to stand against evil, if we're not supposed to stand against the wickedness of our day, then you and I would not need spiritual armor, right? We would all be a bunch of laydowns and we would just let evil move and let evil go and let evil do whatever evil wanted to do. But no, we're supposed to resist evil. We're supposed to stand against evil. So you have to look at this statement in light of the context that in this world there are evil, wicked, unrighteous, ungodly people. And unfortunately, my life is going to cross the path of some of those people and your life is going to cross the path of some of these people. You and I are going to know ungodly, unrighteous people who don't care at all about the things of God. You probably work with some people that we could say they are evil people. Not because you're being self-righteous, not because you're being holier than thou, not because you feel as though you're the Holy Spirit and you get to condemn people, but as you look at them, you can just realize and you can just say with the right spirit, these are not people who care about the things of God. These men or these women, they are ungodly, they are unrighteous, and that is how they conduct their entire lives. You probably have some like this in your family, don't you? Some ungodly, unrighteous, 
unholy people. Now, for Christ to say to resist not the evil, well, what is he suggesting? Well, if the context is, is this, that, that the people of their day were very mindful of their rights and their entitlements and their liberties, and yet you have ungodly people and you have these who are, are not real worried about scriptural principles in their life, then what it seems to suggest, as we'll look at the text in a few moments, is this, is that whenever you come into contact, uh, contact with the unrighteous, the ungodly, the unholy, whatever we'd like to call them tonight, it is not my spiritual place to constantly stand in opposition to them in how they treat me. Because it's not all about me, and it's not all about my rights and what I am entitled to. Now think about this. I said several weeks ago, and I'm saying again tonight to remind us, we live in a society and we live in a day that is very sensitive to our own personal rights. We are very sensitive to our own personal freedoms. We know what is available to us by way of the law. We know what we are entitled to by way of the law. We know what is required of us. And if the law does not require it of us, then friends, if I don't have to do it and I don't want to do it, you can't make me do it. Well, isn't that a lovely attitude for the child of God? But that's how a lot of people live, correct? Why? Because they're very sensitive to their own rights. They're very sensitive to their own freedoms, to their own liberties. And I'll not have you or anyone else infringe upon those rights. And so what do we do? Well, if anybody begins to infringe upon us, and if anybody begins to take advantage of us, if anyone begins to use us or do some of the things that we'll look at in the Scripture tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand in opposition to that because you will not treat me that way and get away with it. Well, that's fine according to culture, but it's not Christian according to Scripture. So what does Christ say? Well, notice in verse number 39, he says, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. Question. You ever been smitten in the face? I stand before you tonight in all honesty and in all sincerity. If I've ever been slapped in the face, I don't remember it. I don't. I've never had anyone punch me in the face. But I've watched it happen before. It is not the natural instinct for someone to get slapped or smitten on the right cheek. And for them to say, well, thank you, here's the left one. It's not how it works, is it? Now, I understand that we would think of this maybe in a literal sense, but, but I think Christ is also talking in the 
figurative sense as well of being slapped or hit in the face. Because you and I both know as well, don't we, that, that there's the old cliche, it's, it's like I was slapped in the face. It's like a slap in the face. Now, when somebody says it's like they were slapped in the face or it's like I've been slapped in the face, what are they suggesting? Well, they're suggesting that they've been humiliated. They, they're suggesting that they've been embarrassed. They, they're suggesting that they've been offended. Something has happened to them that they do not appreciate it. And though it may not have been a literal, physical slap to the face, figuratively, it's as though they were slapped in the face. And whenever someone has ever been literally or figuratively slapped in the face, you've generally got someone who is ready to... Fight back. And here's the thing. By law, we have every right. I mean, literally, physically, actually, if it were to happen tonight, if I were to come up to you and hit you in the face, the law provides for you the ability to defend yourself. If the police were to come and to begin to fill out a report and, and the police were to say, okay, who instigated this? Who initiated this? If there were witnesses who could verify your story that said, listen, it was that mean old preacher that came right up to me and just whacked me upside the face and I was just responding in self-defense. You know, listen, listen, you know what the law would do? The law would protect you. It would not protect me. And society would have no problem with you defending yourself. And truth be told, most of us as Christians, if we knew one of our buddies got slapped in the face or punched in the face, and we knew for sure that it was not them who had instigated it, but someone else, what would most of us do? Most of us would say, well, did you defend yourself? Surely you didn't just sit there and take it, did you? Are you stupid? Well, I was just trying to be a Christian. <laughs> Whatever. Because everything about us says fight back when you've been attacked. Now think about it, not only from a physical sense, but a figurative sense. If we have been proverbial slapped in the face, what do we want to do? We want to start slapping back, don't we? Somebody embarrasses me, somebody humiliates me, somebody offends me, somebody says some things that were out of line against me and they've done something that I don't appreciate. It is within my rights to begin to strike back. And again, most of the world says amen, even though they don't use that terminology. They say that's exactly right. That's what you're allowed to do. And if they're going to say that about you or if they're going to do that about you, then they deserve to have that happen to them. But what does Christ say? He says, if you're smitten on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Don't respond according to the flesh. 
Just because it is your right, just because it is within the framework of what you are entitled to, that is not the right response. So you deal with some ungodly jerk at work who constantly causes you problems. I'm not saying that forever you have to be the doormat that they walk on, but what I am saying is this, is whenever they do something that you don't appreciate, that you don't like, that is sometimes offensive to you, it is not your right to just immediately responding in self-defense. Sometimes we do have to turn the other cheek. But I don't want to. But that's why the Christian life isn't easy. Because if it was easy, everyone would turn the other cheek at all the right times. And listen, and it would never be in question as to how to respond in each situation. And I know you know this, but preachers struggle with it too. Because I, I, listen, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to us tonight. There have been plenty of times that I've been insulted, I've been offended, there have been things said or done that I didn't appreciate, and what do I want to do? I want to lash out. Because it is within my right. Just this evening, before church, Susie made a statement, and, and she didn't even mean it to come out the way that it did. I know that she didn't mean for it to come out the way that it did. But you know what my first thought was? To respond according to my flesh, according to how my flesh wanted to take the comment that she made even in innocence. Let's not sit here and pretend like you and I don't struggle with this from time to time because it is naturally within us to defend ourselves and not let anyone take advantage of us. But that's not the Christian way. He says in verse number 40, And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat. Let him have thy cloak also. What does this mean? Well, it means, okay, Christian, should you ever be taken to a court of law by way of a lawsuit, and for whatever reason, the verdict go against you and not for you, and should the verdict say you owe the man your coat at the same time, Give him your cloak also. What does that mean? It means this. In order to make things right, give more than you're required to give. Now, now think about this. Again, I've said this before, and I would guess it's true of many of you all. I would hope so. I've never been taken to court. doesn't mean it won't happen. It just hasn't happened to this point. Now, should you ever be taken to court for any reason, and for whatever reason, should the verdict go against you, here is what our tendency would be. Whatever the court says I have to pay you or what I have to do for you, that is the only thing I will do for you. Because you're not going to get one penny more or one thing more than me or more from me than what the law requires. Even if it's not that formal of a setting or that formal of a situation, but it's 
pretty obvious that things are not going to turn out in your favor, in your best interest, at least from your perspective. What do you do? You go further in an effort to reconcile the situation. Well, is that what we want to do? <laughs> Come on, look at me and don't just stare at me. Like nod your head or say something. I mean, what is our desire and what is our tendency? Our tendency is, is you're not getting one thing out of me that the law does not require me to do for you. But Christ says, the Christian steps up and says, okay, you won the verdict, you get my coat, I'll let you have my cloak also. I'll let you have the outer garment as well. Why? Because I want to make things right with you. And then in verse number 41, he says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. You know what this means. You know the context of this. You know how it worked in their day. The Jews, while they enjoyed many freedoms, while they enjoyed many liberties, they were still under the authority of the Roman government. And tradition says, historians tell us, that the way it was set up in their day with the Jews under the authority of the Roman government, any Roman soldier at any given time could tell a Jew to carry their burden for them for one mile, and the Jew had to do what they were compelled or ordered to do. Now think about that for just a moment. You could probably have some jerky soldiers in the government of Rome, could you not? Who would see Jews maybe busy about their own activity, maybe busy about their own business, their own trade, having their own lives taking place here, and just because they could, going up to a particular Jew for whatever reason, they might have focused in on this one, they may have decided, you know what, I'm just going to irritate them, I'm just going to pester them, and I'm going to go to them and I'm going to compel them to carry my stuff for one mile. doesn't matter what you're involved in. It doesn't matter what you're engaged in. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to stop everything you're doing for me. How long does it take to walk a mile? 10, 15 minutes if you're moving at a pretty good pace. I don't know how much the load would have weighed at that time. I don't know if they were always carrying, basically, as a Roman soldier, the same amount of stuff. I don't know if there were heavier loads and lighter loads, but I do know this. If you're carrying a load, you tend to walk slower than you would carrying no load. So if you think about this for just a moment, here would be a Jew, whatever the situation may be, maybe involved in their own business, their own trade, their own profession, and a Roman soldier comes up and says, hey, you, carry my stuff for a mile. Here's what you know. No matter what is going on here, I've got to stop now because you have required this of me. And for at least the next 30 minutes or so, I get to deal with you because I've got to walk all the way there. And then whenever I get to put your stuff down, I've got to walk back and get back to my own business. What did the law require? 
the law required, you do it. And if they compel you to go a mile, that's what you do. Now, don't you know some Jews were stepping it out in their mind? It takes me 483 steps to go a mile. One, two, three, 482, 483, I'm done. Because I walked the mile. What does Christ say? Christ says that may be what the law says. That may be what is required of you. But whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. You go further than what's asked of you, and you go further than what's required of you. Now think about this for just a moment. They could have walked the mile and come back. They could have even walked the two miles and come back and got busy back into their own business, back into their own affairs, back into their own occupation, whatever it was they were doing. And 30 minutes later, another Roman soldier come up and say, Hey, you, I want you to carry my burden. They can't say, Well, I just carried someone else's burden. No, I don't care whose burden you carried. Now it's time to carry my burden. I had just got inconvenienced about an hour ago. Sounds like your problem, not my problem. And Christ says, whenever you're compelled to go a mile, go with him two miles. So if the first mile is going to really take you away for 30, 35, 40 minutes, here's what you do. You go the next mile, and that will take you away for at least 70, 75, 80 minutes, if not longer depending on the weight of the load you're carrying for them. Christ says, I know what the law says, and I know what the law requires, but when you're compelled to go one mile, here's what we do. We don't just do the bare minimum as Christians. We go the extra mile. How many of us tonight have people in our lives who don't mind asking us for favors? They're kind of like the warts you can't get rid of. You think it's gone and it shows back up. You think you've taken care of it and it shows back up. Isn't it amazing the number of people who will come into our lives from time to time and they don't mind asking a favor of you, and it never seems to really enter their mind that they are an inconvenience to you? Hey, I was wondering if you could come over. Well, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Now, see, here is what the law provides for you and I to do. Think about this, and this is kind of, I mean, if we're honest, this is going to be kind of painful. The law allows, listen, for you and I to come up with an excuse quickly for why we can't help someone. There's no law in the books that says we can't come up with an excuse for not helping someone in a time of need. Somebody calls and says, hey, I could sure use your help. When? Right now. Well, I'm, I'm busy mowing the yard right now. There's no law that says you have to stop mowing the yard and go help them. See, back in the days of Christ, if they were in the middle of doing yard work and the Roman soldier said, come do it, they couldn't come up with a quick excuse and the law justify it for them. 
But see, in our day, you realize how privileged we are? We can just come up with a quick excuse that says, hey, I'm sorry, I'd really love to. That was a lie. But I'd really love to, but I can't right now. The law even allows for you and I to lie to people that we don't want to help who are inconveniencing us because no one gets thrown in jail for telling a lie for not wanting to help people. Now, I understand we're not talking about a Christian issue, but what I'm trying to show us is this. Do you realize how much freedom we have that we can just completely blow people off if we want and we can come up with any excuse in the world as to why we can't and we can feel completely justified in doing that? They always ask us. They're always asking. They're always asking. They're always calling. They're always saying, could you, could you, could you? Then, you know, I just get tired of it sometimes. The Jews never got tired of it. They thought it was great. That was sarcasm. Okay. What am I supposed to do? When someone needs my assistance in carrying a load, you're supposed to help. It doesn't matter if I just sat down and took my shoes off. I'm supposed to help. It doesn't matter if the law says, oh, Kyle, you don't have to help them. Just tell them you just sat down. No, the law says, according to Christ, this is what you do. According to Christ, you get up and you help them and you see it all the way through, not just what you're required to do, but you go even further than what is asked of you. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. But that's Christianity. Yeah, but they're always asking. I'm guessing Roman soldiers were always asking. It gets so frustrating. I understand. And in our culture and the way things work, there may be a time that if it's the same person over and over and over again, there might be a time in which you need to just set them aside and say, hey, listen, I don't mind helping you out, but you've got to understand something. I've got my own family as well, and there are going to be some times that, you know, I can't always just jump immediately. But what I'm trying to show us tonight is this. Many times the reason we don't help is not because we can't, but it's because we don't want to. Because it serves as an inconvenience to us, and that is not the way the Christian life is supposed to be lived. So you've got somebody at work and they need a hand and it's like, good night, I'm doing my own thing right now. Go ahead and stop and give them a hand. Amen. Somebody in your family needs something. It's like, good night, don't they know? Well, they probably do, but they're not thinking about it right now. Just give them a hand. Help them out. That's what the Christian does. And then in verse number 42, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. No law in the books that said you had to let people borrow what you have. But if somebody needs what you have, 
guess what you're supposed to do? Let them borrow whatever it is they need. Some of you all know I've got a little utility trailer. It's a little 5 by 7 utility trailer. I bought it, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Paid $350 for it. I bought it whenever I got rid of a pickup so that I would have something to haul some things in. Piece of junk really is what it is. But it's my piece of junk. You know what I mean? It's the piece of junk that I bought. It's the piece of junk that I use. I don't have to worry about scratching it. I don't have to worry about messing it up. I mean, I can literally do anything to that trailer I want to do. And if it can withstand the load, I don't care. It's my junk, and I'm going to do with it what I want. Wednesday, A&T had some people out here doing some tree trimming for us. And about an hour or so after they started, someone knocked on the front door. They were in coveralls. I could see them in the baby monitor that I've got in my office. I went to the front door thinking it was one of those men who was out trimming trees. And I said, hey, how's it going, thinking it was one of the tree trimmers. And a man looks up and he says, not so good. Oh, crud, this ain't a tree trimmer. And you know what was immediately going through my mind? Oh, why did I get up for this guy? I could have just sat in my office and he would have eventually gone away. See, it was me being inconvenienced and immediately I was already struggling with my attitude because I was in the middle of getting ready for the Wednesday night service and now you've inconvenienced me and you've thrown me for a loop. And so I've already opened my big mouth and said, how's it going? And he said, not so good. And I said, so what's up? And he begins to tell me this story. He's moving to Memphis, Tennessee, and he was on I-40. And just there on the I-40 exit there at Highway 70, he got ran off the road, and the trailer that he was pulling got destroyed in the wreck. Okay. I'm thinking, I've got a weird trailer. I, because I said, well, what do you need? He said, I just need a trailer to get my stuff. And he was desperate. I thought, well, I've got a weird size hitch on my car or on my trailer. It's one and seven eighths. Everybody uses two inches. So I said, what size hitch do you have? What size ball? He said, one and seven eighths inch. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And you know what the Spirit of God said to me as clearly as anything could be said to me? Let him use your trailer. So I said to him, I got a trailer. And he said, would you mind if I used it? Where are you going? Memphis, Tennessee. But I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, right. Now, I only tell you that story to tell you this. You know what was going on in my mind? It's my only trailer. I mean, I know it's junk, but it's my junk. But, I mean, what are the chances a guy showing up at the front door of your church needing a little utility trailer? That's all he needed. He didn't need a big one. He needed a little one. I've got a little one. And what are the chances of a one and seven eight inch ball whenever most of them are two-inch balls? What are the chances? I knew that God brought him to our church looking for a small utility trailer with that size ball, and I had to decide, okay, what am I going to do? Will I let the man borrow it because he needs it, or am I going to say, no, mine? 
So best I can tell, <laughs> if the man was shooting straight with me, my trailer is somewhere in Memphis, Tennessee right now. JJ texted me the other day and said, can I borrow your trailer? And I said, somebody else is borrowing it right now. And they are. Why? Because the Christian life is not about me holding on to what I have. The Christian life is about us saying, hey, you need that? You need to borrow it? Yeah, you can borrow it. Isn't it true that sometimes we wrestle with generosity? Because that's my stuff. That's the stuff that I bought. That's the stuff that I paid for. That's the stuff that I use. And, and, and it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. No, it's not mine. None of it's mine. I'm just a steward over every bit of it that God gives me. And so if someone needs to borrow a trailer to move their stuff to Memphis, Tennessee, then I guess if the Lord prompts me to do it, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And if somebody were to say, hey, I need to borrow your car, I guess I need to loan them my car. And if somebody were to say, hey, could I borrow that tool, then, then I guess I'm supposed to loan them that tool. Somebody says, yeah, but you may never get it back. I, I may not. But I know this, I was obedient. Somebody says, well, they might tear it up. They might. But I know I'm supposed to be obedient. Now, again, is there someone that you may have to pull aside and say, hey, listen, I don't mind helping you out. I really don't mind helping you out. I, I have no problem with it at all. But, but at some point, we need to move past this. I'm not saying we don't help people sometimes in their understanding of what's going on, just like we would help somebody with their understanding of how they're infringing upon our time. But the bottom line is this, is if they need to keep borrowing and keep borrowing and keep borrowing, so long as the Holy Spirit says, let them borrow, we're supposed to let them borrow, even though the law doesn't say you have to let them borrow. See, the world is so consumed with their rights. And anyone who would infringe upon their rights, what are we going to do? We are going to stand against them. We're going to resist them. We're going to impose upon them violating us. So if they smite us in the cheek, what are we going to do? We're going to smite back. And if the law says give them this, we're only going to give them that and not a penny more. And if the law says walk a mile, that is all I'm going to walk and not one step more. And if somebody wants to borrow something, if I don't have to and if I'm not required to, I'm not going to unless I want to. But that is not the Christian life. The Christian life turns the other cheek. The Christian life does more to, pro to prove and, and to, to uh, illustrate the, the sorriness and the, apolog the apologetic spirit of doing somebody wrong. The, the, the Christian life says, let me do more for you than what is required of you. And, and you know what? This isn't mine, and I'll just let you borrow it if that's what you need. Now, how many times, whether we want to admit this or not, how many times do we live more like the world than we do a Christian? 
So many times we live more like the world than we should as a Christian. And, and it doesn't help our testimony. It does not help our testimony. Yes, this is what culture says, but I say unto you. Now, do we want to live a life that's accepted by culture, or do we want to live a life that's accepted by Christ? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be the kind of Christians you called the disciples to be that day as you taught them. Lord, it's so easy 